I'm going to read today's scripture within the context of the sermon today. So I'm not going to read the scripture and then uh, uh, have this sermon. Uh, but it's from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, though I'm going to pick up uh, the story at the end of chapter 13. So in case you're looking at your Bible or have pulled up your Bible app to follow along, I'm not going to just read the whole thing, but I'm going to I'm going to present it to you within the context of the sermon. And I think that sermon titles are kind of important. Um, and I, I like crafting the title, and we're not getting to use titles but because uh, you're not seeing a bulletin. But if I had a bulletin and you were sitting here reading it, you would know that the sermon is entitled today, The Goat, capital G, capital O, capital A, capital T, The Goat, The Greatest of All Time. The passage that we are tackling today contains one of the most troubling verses in all of the Bible, in my opinion, and it contains one of the most wonderful and important verses in all the Bible. Aren't you glad you're with us today for the most difficult and the most wonderful? Last week, Russ took a look at the 23rd Psalm, and we mentioned that so often that Psalm is reserved for funerals. When the truth is, it's a psalm about life and living, not about death and dying. Well, it's the same for today's text. As soon as I start to read it, you're going to think you're at a funeral. It is so often chosen for that setting. It makes sense. Let me just start it for you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. You may have heard it from the King James. There are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Doesn't that take you to a funeral? <laughs> um. My children just walked in, and my heart is so full. They have surprised me for Mother's Day. Y'all are the best. Okay, I didn't know that was coming, and now, see, I'm trying not to cry and trying to be all in a funeral text. And so, welcome to uh, Park Road Baptist Church again. Okay, let me find my place, and y'all are late. <laughs> um, better late than never. Okay, so this text is not about death and dying. It is about living, just like the 23rd Psalm is. But this passage that I just started for you is chosen for a funeral setting, and it makes sense because we are such planners. When we take a trip, oh, friends, to take a trip, do we remember how to do it? I think we do. Let's just try for a moment to think about taking a trip, you know, a year from now. We plan ahead. We make reservations. We discuss where we want to stay and what kinds of places where we want to eat. We talk about excursions we want to take and functions that we want to attend. We brainstorm about things to see, things to look forward to. We try to think about how we will build in enough rest and relaxation. 
And even as the trip gets closer, we start looking at the 14-day weather forecast to see if we need to throw in a sweater or what days we need to plan things for the inside if it's going to be raining. We like to have something to look forward to. And we like to be able to picture it with our mind's eye. Sometimes the trips live up to all of our expectations and sometimes they fall short. But with the help of Google and countless other avenues of trip guides, we can see where we're going and the marketing departments make all the places look so wonderful. So many museums and national parks are even putting together virtual tours these days so that we can enjoy these places from our home. It's been a wonderful gift, and I think those kind of things will become even more popular as a way for people to become world travelers right there kicked back in your Lazy Boy recliner. So don't act surprised when Jesus says to the disciples, just before that, what I read to you earlier, what he says at the end of chapter 13 of John's gospel is, he says, I'm only going to be with you a little bit longer. And they say, oh, where are you going? The Bible doesn't record it, but I can only imagine them wanting to know all about, where are you going, Jesus? What's the weather like? What's there to do? What excursions have you planned? What's the cuisine? What language do they speak there? What should you wear? What's the best way to get around? Is there an app? Have they updated their website? And that's when Jesus tells them all about it. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you with me. So that where I am, there you will be also. And you know the place where I'm going. And Thomas responds, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. They had to be thinking, this is the worst planned trip ever. We are so ill-prepared, Jesus. GPS it for us, Jesus. Let the lady tell us how to get there turn by turn. Or better yet, set it to the British man's voice to give us the exact directions. Which exit to take, how many miles to go, how heavy is the traffic ahead, especially on the I-85 corridor to Greenville. And if the way goes through Atlanta, we may just choose a different destination or at least take the longer diverted route. But Jesus so tenderly and carefully says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And here comes the most troubling verse in the whole New Testament. No one comes to the Father except through me. The implications are large when we quote this passage as, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As if Jesus was saying that to all people for all times in every situation. What does this say to our Jewish brothers and sisters and our Buddhist brothers and sisters and our Baha'i brothers and sisters? This is the one verse that as a child and a teenager made me worry about all the people of the world who did not know Jesus as the K 
capital T way, capital W. I mean, I like lost sleep worrying about this. And that's a lot of worry for a child to carry. But if we're going to quote the text, let's at least quote it correctly. Jesus said to him, to Thomas, who was asking a very specific question for a very specific situation in a very specific time and place in the context of a very specific relationship of rabbi to disciple. Jesus said, I'm not going to be with you much longer. That was a hard thing for them to hear. Like any close friend and confidant who tells us they're going to move, that means no more long walks to the neighborhood, no more meeting up for coffee, no more getting the kids together for a play date. It's, devast it's a devastating thing to say to someone, I'm not going to be with you much longer. Immediately, the natural response is, where are you going? And when Jesus starts talking to them like they should know all about it, they respond that they are indeed quite caught off guard by this and quite clueless about the details. So Jesus responds to Thomas. And if I can paraphrase Jesus a bit, I think the conversation went like this. Thomas, it's me. You know me. We've been close. I'm the way. It's me, Thomas. I'm the truth. It's me, Thomas. I'm the life. No one, none of you will get there except through me. This is our story. We are in this together. We've been in this together. We will be in this together. I'm not going to leave you. We will continue to be together in spirit, both now and forevermore, Thomas. Nothing can take away what we've had together. You will never forget all that we've been through together. And for whatever and whenever and wherever the next thing is, we will all be in it together. Now, clearly, I added some words. But when I try to imagine this very intimate, painful, anxiety-ridden conversation that must have gone on between teacher and disciples, that's how I picture it. Jesus didn't say, please use these words I'm about to say forever to keep people out of the scope of acceptance, love, and affirmation. He did not instruct them to condemn people to the fires of hell forever and ever, amen, based on this conversation. So when you quote this, get it right. Jesus said to Thomas, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, Thomas. No one comes except through me. But I think we get so swallowed up in this part of this scene, and because so often we hear this at funerals and we stop right there, we forget to move on to what might be the most important verse in all of the Bible. After he says all of that in that intimate, anxiety-filled conversation, he says, very truly, I tell you. I love it when he says very truly, because something big is coming. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and, in fact, will do greater works than these. Can you imagine? Can you hear the affirm affirmation? Can you accept the confidence 
that Jesus had in them. And if you believe in Jesus, then did you catch that he was talking to you too? In that earlier troublesome scene, he was clearly talking to Thomas and the people gathered there. But in this part of the scene, he says, and to the one who believes in me, they will do greater things than I have done. Have you ever felt more loved? Have you ever felt more affirmed? Have you ever felt more empowered? So since I've already put some words in Jesus' mouth this morning already, let me do it one more time. I think Jesus is saying here to Thomas, to the other disciples, and he said, to anyone who believes in me, I think this is what Jesus said, you're the goat. You're the greatest of all time. I believe in you. You're going to be great. You're going to do great. You are great. I have every confidence in you. You are enough. You are more than enough. You are beautiful and wonderful. And anything that you do in love with a generous spirit to care for yourself and for my people and for the world is as great a thing I've ever done. And wait a minute. It's even greater. You are amazing. This verse may just be the most affirming and life-giving verse in all of the Bible. And it gets lost because there's a whole group of Christians so wrapped up in Jesus being the only way of salvation for all people of all time. And then it dawned on me, you know why it's like that in our world today among Christians? Because it's easier to condemn people to hell than to accept the affirmation of being the goat. Our culture embraces the put-down and deflects the affirmation. If you're going to read John 14, then please read it all. Greater works will you do. You're the goat. But let's not live in comparison scenarios. You know, the way we redirect our pain and our suffering because, well, it's not as bad as someone else's pain and suffering. Your pain is your pain. Your burden is your burden. It doesn't matter what someone else's is. Yours is yours. And it's the same with greatness. Your greatness is yours alone. Do not compare it to another's greatness. If you walk a marathon in your backyard during isolation and you raise $1 million for hunger, good for you. You're the goat. If you clean out your closet, and take a bunch of your stuff that you no longer wear for goodwill, to goodwill. Good for you. You're the goat. Don't compare your greatness to another person's greatness. Jesus has already said, you're the goat. 
just continue to do great things, it will be more than enough. May it be so. Amen.